L, L, Nation, what's good? Happy evening to everybody out there. This is the Lucky Lefty Podcast. As you see, I have a special co-host with me tonight, my boy, the original Lucky Lefty himself. is being a little Hollywood this week. He's actually doing some filming, and he'll be back with us next week. But I'm pleased to have big-time friend of the program, Cam McDaniel, former Notre Dame running back here to co-host with me tonight on the Lucky Lefty podcast. As always, we're brought to you by and featuring Anora Whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com. It's the premium American whiskey, AnoraWhiskey.com, and is available in the South Bend area. So if you're around Notre Dame, go look into grabbing that Anora Whiskey at your beverage dealers. So... As I said before, we're about to get into some NFTs, and this guy might have the greatest NFT moment in Notre Dame history. I don't know if he's actually going to be able to put it up or grab hold to it in the near future. We're going to get into the Irish Players Club. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But before we get into anything, I would be mistaken if I did not send prayers out to everyone in the Eastern Hemisphere with what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Of course, you've seen families torn apart, uh, men between the ages of 18 and 60 having to put their families on buses to send them to safety while they stay behind and fight. And uh, Russian residents are in the streets in the major cities protesting against what's happening. Right now, uh, I just pray for the peace of God. Yeah, yeah we're peace. peace. And on both peace. sides. On both yes. sides. And that's not to say that we support anyone politically. Yeah. But, you know, we here at LL Nation, we're all about peace. We're all about community. We're about respecting each other's uh, opinions and being able to discuss those and have fun with it. And tonight, before we give you guys a little bit of a sidebar of talking Notre Dame football and some other things, we did want to send our hearts, uh, our thoughts and our hearts prayers out to the Eastern Hemisphere and yeah. everyone that is dealing with what's going on with that situation. Now, it's good, Sean. I have my guy Cam McDaniel on, and Cam was sharing with me before we came on that can't he yo, spring practice starts in Notre Dame March 17th. And you know, my question was with a new staff, the turnover in coaches. There are a lot of players on the Notre Dame roster that feel like they have a clean slate. You know, they have an opportunity to prove themselves. Maybe True. they were behind on the depth chart, you know, under the previous regime. And now they feel like they have a chance to really show what they can do with this new coaching staff. And we were talking and Cam says, Sean, go ahead and share what you saw. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was funny that we we're going to be talking about this because spring ball was always – Oh man, it was just one of my least favorite things, man. That uh, that was a grind. That was a grind. It was a different type of grind, and uh, especially out in South Bend, in that uh, beautiful spring semester weather, uh, where you're getting down into the negatives and wind chill when you're waking up at four thirty in the morning to head uh, head over to the head over to the practice facility, man. That was those were some times. That was intense. Uh, a lot of good came out of it, but um, it was always one of those those seasons of life where you're just like, man, 
can we just fast forward through this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's, it's definitely, uh, with this new coaching staff, you bring up a really good point. Like with this new coaching staff, man, and change already, I mean, change has been in the air. Uh, we've had a little bit of time to settle down and relax, kind of, uh, focus on some recruiting and finishing out, you know, recruiting. And now these guys, um, I'm sure are ready to make some impressions and ready to start, um, you know, showing their new coaches, position coaches, uh, coordinators, everything that they are capable of. And like, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. Uh, there's so, there's so many, you know, subtle political nuances in, um, and just relationships with your coaches yeah. that when you got a, you know, a bunch of new ones, like a whole new roster essentially of coaches, uh, it is your chance to make impressions. Um, and, uh, I definitely know that there's going to be a lot of those guys, um, out there excited to, um, show this new coaching staff, what they're capable of. So when you came to Notre Dame, uh, you probably were not as heralded as some of the other guys in the running back room. Where did you really make your mark? Was it really in spring ball or was it in fall camp? Like, where did you really make your mark to start getting those opportunities in games? Uh, getting in the game? Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm a, I'm a gamer, you know? And uh, one of the things that, I always feel like was unique about what I brought to the table um, was, I don't know. I always developed like special chemistry with the quarterbacks and I think they, they always had the confidence knowing what I could do out of the backfield, especially um, with pass pro and uh, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Yeah. Um, which was something that I did a lot in high school that I didn't get to do as much of at Notre Dame. Um, and so, yeah, really getting in the game made the biggest difference. Obviously, like, uh, you know, what you're doing in practice, what you're yeah. doing in, uh, in training camp, spring ball, all that stuff. Yeah, it definitely matters. Um, but with a guy that was, uh, kind of got labeled as less flashy and more, um, uh, I don't know, just, I guess, like you said, uh, just had a little bit less of a, uh, less expectation, I guess, in the running back room overall, I had to just have that chip on my shoulder to be able to, um, you know, prove to people what I was actually capable of and that I was there, you know, I was there for a reason. I was one of the top running backs in the state coming out of, High school, uh, pretty good state too. Don't shortchange yourself. Yeah, man. Uh, led the led my state in rushing TDs my junior and senior year. Um, you know, in my classification, and was the Ford Built Tough Player of the Year along with Johnny Manziel, um, just in a different classification. And so, so yeah, man. It it's uh, it was interesting. Um, but I would say definitely just having the ability to get on the field and get comfortable and find your flow yeah. is, dude, that's just where 
every player has to prove it on the field at some point. That's just, you get guys that kill it in practice. You get guys that kill it in training camp or spring ball or whatever. And then when it comes to transitioning that on the field, there's a disconnect. And for me, um, I always felt like the games are where, you know, I had the ability to shine. So. It's funny you mentioned that. And I want to go back to what you said about Johnny Manziel and ask you a question and I'll preface it by talking about, you know, what transpired with the Michigan basketball team and the Wisconsin basketball team this weekend and their coaches. And I personally, um, socially and athletically have a relationship with Jawan Howard and, um, knowing him socially and competing against him on the basketball court during my high school years, I was kind of shocked at his reaction because it was so far away from the person that I've grown to know. Now, I haven't been around yeah. him for a lot of years, but the person that I knew as a teenager, I was like, yo, I didn't expect that reaction from Nuke because that's what we call him, Big Nuke. So when you talk about Johnny Manziel and all of a sudden you look up and Manziel mania is going on, it's like, like you played around, you probably had seen him as a youngster, may have been around him off the field. You know, you were there when he was playing in high school. Like, did you think he would get to that point of acclaim at Texas A&M? Dude, I was, I was pretty blown away. Um, I I knew that this kid could ball. Yeah, like there was no doubt about that. Um, he actually played at my my grandfather's alumni, so I have a lot of history with mm. that school, Kerrville Tyvee. Yeah, and I I remember seeing him down there just balling and some of the highlights that he was putting together. I just didn't know how that was going to transition to college football and. Yeah. Um, and what they were even going to do with him. I wasn't even sure if they were going to, you know, play him at quarterback. The dude yeah. was just a, he was a crazy athlete. And so I was, uh, I think he shocked the whole world with his capacity as a player and brought something very unique to the game. That special red shirt freshman year where he just started lighting it up. But man, yeah, that was, uh, that was a crazy year. That was our national championship year, like watching him, you know, go head to head with Manti Teo for the Heisman Trophy. Like that was surreal, man. Because for me, I was just thinking, dude, I was, I was just, you know, receiving an award with that guy, uh, the same kind of prestigious award for the state of Texas. Um, you know, just less than two years before that, and uh, to watch and to see how his career um, kind of ended up progressing. Uh, Man, he was a he was a unique player. He had a a unique swagger, and uh, even his, just his story overall. I don't know if you've ever have you ever heard the backstory of like how he had the stamina or like endurance that he did, basically from like getting in trouble his so much his freshman year that he had to run striders all the time. Oh, and then he, share that, share that, dude. It was bananas. <laughs> like this guy was getting in trouble. I mean, uh, for those of you that don't remember. Um, he, he originally got famous at Texas A&M with that mug shot right. of getting arrested and, um, <laughs> and he was just in trouble all the time, man. And so they would make him run extra after practice and he just, 
I think he was saying something about uh, he realized how good of shape he was in and how easy it was to just go through practices. And so he just made himself run the, for the rest of his career at Texas A&M. He just ran these striders. And he swears that this is why he was able to run around like he was on the field and like do all the stuff that he was able to do without getting tired. Um, which, which I just found, I found pretty remarkable. I was like, man, I should have focused on endurance more. <laughs> without the trouble, right? Yeah, man. Cause he's not just like lightning fast or anything like that. He, no, his 40 times. Three star, right? I think he's like the 60, 62nd ranked player in Texas. Yeah, like, I think his forty time was like maybe maybe he could, he was a four or five guy at times, but I think he was like mostly four six guy. Yeah, and I mean his his COD his change of direction was banners. It was really it was oh, pretty right. spectacular. Right. But he just had this like weird elusiveness, and he would just run around back there, and this defensive lineman just probably just hated, absolutely hated, <laughs> hated playing against him. So. But it wasn't a shock for you when you saw him after post-college career. You saw some of the troubles um, he had to deal with. I guess for that, it went back to the troubles he initially got into, which led to the story you just told us. Yeah, man. That was – I mean, it's a sad story. It's always sad to see stuff like that. But everybody's yeah. got their growth process yeah. and their transition Absolutely. process. And yeah. what he did in the game will always be remembered. So he'll be – He'll go down as one of, you know, one of the unique great athletes to ever play college football. And he's part of that Heisman fraternity, which is like, dude, I mean, that's just, that to me is like one of the coolest awards you can ever win in football. So um, you're part of that club. Um, yeah, it's awesome. It's a slippery slope as fans, right, Cam? Because, you know, what you just talked about. There are a lot of guys that we root for as fans. And we don't know who they are. We don't know who they are as people. We don't know who they are as uh, family men. And we don't yeah. know who they are as human beings. Yeah. And the quickest thing for us to do is to put them on a pedestal because of what they've done on the field and then use off the field to bring them down a notch. Every yeah. time they make a mistake. And that's really unfair um, as, as fans. And I wish we had more of a, a universal look at people. No judgment zone. <laughs> yeah. No judgment zone. It's yeah, just... it's like I see people now, the way they get angry about kids choosing a school over their school and you're in yeah. recruiting. And it's like the vitriol that some of the Notre Dame players faced on social media after the Fiesta Bowl. And I'm saying to myself, like, yo, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, how can you be a fan and not expect disappointment? That's the whole, that's one of the beautiful sides of fandom. Yeah. The disappointment. It makes the celebration even sweeter. Makes it more real, man. Makes it more real. So, yeah. you know, I, I just wish that sports in general, which is a perfect beautiful landscape for equality in a lot yeah. of different ways. I yep. wish fans could take part of that and be a little bit, a little more fair, you know, when we're dealing with these young men and you know, what happens, you especially know, the young men, dude, especially these college football players, man. Are you kidding me? These are college football se camp. 17, yeah. 18 year old kids. <laughs> now, you're different cam. 
Because you've all <laughs> you, you come from an entrepreneurial family, and you're an entrepreneur yourself. But I was about to use the example. A lot of times, I try to explain to people like, you know, these young men that bypass or possibly go to college for literally half a year. It's like yeah. once the basketball season is over in March or April, they're not yep. finishing that semester if they're preparing for the yeah. NBA draft. They're, they're gone immediately. And yeah. they're 18, 19, and they become multimillionaires like months later. I and I'm thinking to myself at 18, 19, I – I probably would have splurged and made some bad and some bad purchases. I'm, I'm sure I would have. Yeah. So I, I try to allow people to, to look at the fact that, yo, when you're 18 and 19, you just talked about it with the development. We all have our levels of development at different stages. Some, some young men are ready at 18. You look at a guy like LeBron James, the pressure he had on him. He did yeah. an incredible job navigating everything to be the person that he is today. And then you have some people like J.R. Smith, for instance, who took a different path and has become just as influential now as going back to school. He's uh, using his uh, eligibility, college eligibility to play golf for yeah. North Carolina AT&T and uh, showed his report card. He has straight A's and it's like, he's so happy that he's experiencing it now because he knew at that age, there's no way he would have approached his education yeah. from the same mindset. So, yeah, you know, just being fair, especially when you're talking about a school like Notre Dame, it's different. It is. It's different. And you guys are different. Let me tell you something. Guys that choose to go to Notre Dame. It's true. You guys are different, man. Different cats overall. And I think you're going to get you're going to get unique personality you know, wherever you go. But when you're talking about a place like Notre Dame where people are coming from all over the nation and yeah. it's just a nationally recognized program with all the rich history that it has. And um, yeah, man, such fascinating people and such a spirit of excellence on the program overall. I mean, yeah. Talk about maturing, talk about growing, talking about uh, giving kids a break. Golly. I mean, just guys like all you guys out there, Notre Dame Nation fans, don't judge a kid on social media. Just don't do it. Mm. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> don't throw the don't throw the stone. Just don't do it, um, because it's never going to add any life or any value to those kids. And ultimately, if you do consider yourself a fan and you want to help the program, negativity will never help the program. It just won't. No okay. matter what. No matter what scale. And so. Um, just dude, I look at a guy like Tom Mendoza who gets on Twitter all the time and just this guy, I mean, from the time I was playing all the way through, just, yeah. you know, DMing guys, sending them messages, being super encouraging. And there's, there's several, several of these guys out there like that. And I have relationships with a lot of them now too. Yeah. So just keep that in mind as well, that, you know, the players that you treat well, actually might be interested in developing a relationship with you. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, and so I keep up with some of those, those people that just, you know, were encouraging me, especially during the times, you know, where it was rough, man. And um, man, yeah, the, the Fiesta Bowl scenario was all the stuff that, that we were seeing. It was, 
it was just crazy, man. And um, it, was, it was the frustration of everything, like Brian Kelly leaving. All of it, yep. Coaching was, search, Freeman. Some people didn't like the choice. Some people preferred Luke Fickle. It's just a culmination of everything. And then having the big lead and losing it the way you did. Fans after the frustration just boiled over. Dude, playing Mike Gundy in the Fiesta Bowl, like as your first opportunity to play, yeah, uh, against an incredibly talented Oklahoma State team. Yeah, I think I think we should have won. Oh, but, absolutely. But uh, I mean, you can't. These things happen, man. It's football, yeah. and um, <laughs> man, that first the first half, the first half was just beautiful to watch. It was amazing. And how did, how, where, what were you doing? I was there. I was I'm, at the game. Oh, you were there? Yeah. So I was, I was, I was going crazy. Yeah. The first half, no one was in the house but me. Yeah. I think I shared this with you before. When the game is on, my wife and daughter, they have to leave. They have to find somewhere to go. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> and, yo, when I think the uh, Michael Mayer touched it, yeah. we went up. 21-7. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking. I'm walking around the house talking so much trash. Like like somebody's here. Like an Oklahoma how, State fan is how, right there in front of me. How cool is that that he's even coming back, by the way? Oh, That's man. just, dude. Incredible. Oh, man. Whatever, whatever quarterback gets to play with him this fall is going to be a lucky, a lucky QB. <laughs> we can get into that. We can get into that in a few minutes. Yeah, man. Quarterbacks and how big. Because you said something about quarterbacks and spring ball meaning more for them it does let's let's bookmark that yeah we'll look well the frustration of the fiesta bowl for everyone and let me tell you the one one of the most powerful things that i saw from marcus freeman in the aftermath of that his ability as a leader yeah to end what had happened and to give clear clear vision to the players that were coming back yeah to what's next starting tomorrow Mm -hmm. like unfortunately we did not get the job done we're not about to hang our heads about that that's over this season is over it's time to develop our players yeah next season like yeah he clearly gave the vision like look we we're saying goodbye he might as well have had a coffin in the locker room for the bk era like that's over all that talk Everything that's happened, the transition, the frustration, that's done. We're on to the yeah. future, and we know what we have to do. I thought it was one of the greatest jobs of moving on in a press conference in a tough situation that I saw from my first-time head coach. Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of uh, a lot of individuals that typically would not be advocates for Notre Dame are starting mm-hmm. to um, – just express their affinity for coach Freeman and, and, and just like, man, there's something about the charisma of this guy. That's very likable. And, um, and that's, dude, that's the type of guy you need at the helm to, um, to kind of shake things up because I think, unfortunately the undertones of the, uh, the playoffs from 2020, um, all right. It was in year 2021, but 2020, that's why it always confuses me. The 2020 season, playing Alabama and Brian Kelly's press conference at the end of that game. And basically kind of saying like, hey, 
that's the same problem that I've, I've had since I've been here. It's just a, it's a talent disparity. And, um, and I'm obviously paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of uh, inferring that it was recruiting and the talent gap that wasn't allowing him to make this uh, mm. to, to solidify it, to get into the big game and like win it. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, man, that's not it. It's yeah. not it. Yeah. It's not a talent disparity. And a lot of guys are going to disagree with me on this. It's always, always the case. Cause I say stuff like, I say really esoteric stuff like love wins and uh, you know, love is how you, you know, <laughs> I'm like such a Ted Lasso fan that like this impenetrable optimism and right. love and encouraging players is like, that's my vibe. That's, and I think that a lot of guys are looking for authenticity. They're looking for like real encouragement. Yeah. They're looking for, I mean, I'm just, I go read what recruits want to see from uh, the guys that are recruiting them. And a lot, like the most common thing that I see is they want authenticity. Yeah. Like, Hey, just let me know. Are you trying to like pad? Uh, are you trying to pad the depth chart or do you like see me as a guy that you want, you know, you want me to be, you know, playing yeah. uh, and like contributing like right away. Um, <clears throat> and dude, it, uh, it's just one of those things that um, I think we got to pay attention to. I think, I think we got to pay attention to the kids outcry for authenticity. And I think it's something that this, this, uh, this squad really sees with Marcus Freeman. I think that's why he had so much support from the players and the fans need to take note of that. They need to take note of the fact that, and a lot of guys have, but if you haven't, you know, pay close attention because when, uh, when a when players can get behind their head coach, you know, not just to play the game, but as a person, and they know that that guy is going to be there for them as a young man, dude. That that's absolutely priceless, and um, and I think that there are some some coaches that kind of resemble that in college football. I don't again. It's kind of like you said earlier with the players. We don't know these guys. We don't know their personal lives and everything like that. It's the same thing with the coaches. We only see kind of what we get to see, but we can feel some stuff. Yeah. We can we can sense like, oh, yeah, like I don't know if he's being real right now. He just kind of looks like he's a talking head. Or, man, there's something coming out of him that I feel. like yeah. It's here. It's like soul. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that uh, – those are all things to just kind of be paying attention to with Marcus Freeman coming up this year. Let me tell you something. And I can speak to, for the first time, being in his presence last Wednesday with the uh, press conference and the breakout sessions for the assistant coaches. He definitely demands, like, your attention. Like, when, as soon as he walks in the room, it's like, okay, this is the guy. Like, everybody open up your ears, open up your hearts to hear what he's about to say because he's about to say something of importance. And he just has that presence and that charisma that you talked about. But I want to point out something that maybe if you've never had this experience, for me it was different because I was always there like on a game day weekend or, you know, for the blue and gold game when it really wasn't. I think you muted yourself. 
Did you mute yourself? Cam, okay, try to come back in. Try to come back in and rejoin. Yeah, I can't hear you. I say we're trying to get Cam back in a second, have him rejoin. But I was just about to share with Cam, like, my experience uh, last Wednesday uh, of choosing to park. I parked on the opposite side of campus, away from, you know, there's a parking lot right there adjacent to Notre Dame Stadium. And I parked on the opposite side. And I chose to walk through uh, the campus. And when I got out, it was right when it was kind of right around a quarter to two. So classes were just getting out and everybody was walking to their next class or walking back to their dorm and the vibe of the campus. Okay. You got me? Yeah, I got you now. Sorry about that, brother. No, it's good. So I was just sharing with everybody else. Yo, when I went there for the press conference last week, I didn't park in the parking lot adjacent to the stadium. Gotcha. I actually parked on the opposite side because I wanted to like walk the campus. Yeah. I really never had that experience during school. Yeah. And so I got out and I had my backpack. So, you know, of course, I'm sure they could tell I was much older, but I had a backpack. So I kind of blended in and it was just like the vibe was of the campus was just incredible. Like, and if you've never had an experience to, see certain areas of the campus and walk by the lake and you it's know, magical. Yeah, it's magical and come up between the halls and the dorms and make that right. And you can see touchdown Jesus and then you can see the stadium and all of a sudden you feel like you're walking the same steps that all of these great players walk. It's almost yeah. like going to Jerusalem in a sense. You know, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That's a good analogy. Like, yeah. It's like the Mecca, the Mecca of college football. Is, yeah, is Jesus what Notre Dame is. His sandals on this path. Like, this is kind of dope. <laughs> and <laughs> it was kind of the same. You, I got the same. Joe, Name, Joe Namath walked here. Exactly. I had to recalibrate my mind to say, yo, you have a job to do. And so yeah. I went in and just met. And one thing that's always stood out in the short time that I've, you know, grown and built a relationship with Malik, yourself, and guys like I've worked with Mike Golick Jr. Um, the brotherhood is real. This is something I want to Notre Dame fans. When they yeah. talk about the brotherhood at Notre yeah. Dame, it is authentic. It yeah. is real. And they might as well have come from the same bloodline the way they play for each other when they're there and the way they respect and love each other when the playing days are over. Yeah. And there's man, it's nothing like it. So yeah. everything I say this all the time, there's no better package to sell. If you're a head coach walking into a young man's living room to face his parents in Notre Dame. It's special. That's it's special. I think, um, what I would say just with all that is, is the truth is it's real. Like, man, when you walk on that campus, it's, yeah. 
It is special. I, my first visit there was in the middle of winter and it was snowing like crazy. I think there was three feet of snow, but it was still just so magical. And so, you know, even a kid from Texas coming up there in the cold, you know, harsh winter of South Bend, Indiana, Yeah, there's just something about, I mean, even how gold that golden dome is and that white when like everything's just white. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's beautiful, man. But um, I think this is, this is, what I'm seeing with Notre Dame, especially, uh, and I'm interested to see how Marcus Freeman starts to implement this, but I think, you know, Notre Dame obviously has the historical element in their favor. They have that nostalgia, if you will, that will always be in their favor. Yeah. Now, how are they going to innovate to create new futuristic opportunities for kids coming in that are unique to everything else that's out there? That's, that's going to be important as this game is changing the way that it is. And obviously, you know, this, we're going to get in this NFT project and that's going to be, you know, a type of innovation that you can do. Um, but man, like you were talking about some of the stuff earlier with just, I mean, now these kids are having to manage money and do stuff that, uh, a lot of college athletes, even when I, when I was playing, we didn't have to think about that stuff. And now you do, um, dude, you got a Notre Dame endowment. That's crazy. You got a business school. That's amazing. You have resources that are unbelievable. And to be able to put some of those mechanisms in a package, which, you know, they already might, and I'm just not aware of it, but to, you know, put really strategic um, mechanisms of exponential, like cash building and residual income opportunities and Mm -hmm. uh, being able to capture that digital content and and allow that that individual player uh, the opportunity to access it and to use it for their own benefit and just like use it for their own creative art projects, whatever they want to do. Like all of that stuff. Uh, and there's more. There's more things that I guess we can talk about innovating wise. But to innovate creatively during this time is so key for recruiting, in my opinion. Yeah. So this is a perfect segue. We have a question from, we'll get to our question shortly. Robin Dennis, we appreciate you. Thank you for tapping in tonight. Sean, please ask Cam what he thinks about the legacy program MF is starting. And Cam, you haven't had an opportunity. You did not have an opportunity to see this. So I'll let you see this. Uh, We played it on the previous show. Wes Pritchett, former linebacker, member of the 1988 National Championship team at Notre Dame. And he was discussing the very thing that you just asked about is Wes Pritchett once again. Kelly never brought the team. There was just like the whole, like when, when Lou came in, Lou truly loved Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Lou thought Notre Dame was more important than Lou. Brian Kelly thought Brian Kelly was more important than Notre Dame. Not that that's, I mean, that's just the world today. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, He didn't bring the old, there was just a lot of things that I didn't necessarily love. I don't think anybody cares that he's a winningest coach at Notre Dame and Notre Dame football's in a better position today than it was when he came but he's gone. Good riddance. I don't miss him. So Marcus Freeman comes in. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame took a little bit of a, of, of you know, uh, rolled the dice a little bit. But apparently the players, um, the players all went to the athletic director, Jack Swarbuck, and said, this is our guy. This is a guy we want. And, I mean, I've never heard of such. That, that To me, that's awesome. 
everything I've heard from him is, is impressive. I love his tenacity. He loves Notre Dame. He's a football player. Uh, he's a guy's guy. Uh, I don't think Kelly was any of those things. Um, obviously a good football coach, but, um, and so what has Marcus Freeman done? I told you I was on a zoom call yesterday. He he's already started. It's called the legacy program. He's taking all ex players, current players, coaches, current coaches. And we have, we're doing zoom calls once a month now. I'm in on that call. (laughs) Put me in on that call. I'm serious. So we just had our first call yesterday. Now he's also, I just received an invitation for the spring game, which I was never invited to for 35 years. Hmm. Oh, that's exciting. They're going to have a legacy weekend, happy hour, connectivity meetings, golf tournament, everything with the old ex-football players coming together in one place to start trying to get some connectivity and start getting everybody involved because you've got all these all yeah. this great energy and all these great successful guys, and we've never had a forum. Cam, I saw this and showed it to the rest of LL Nation uh, two days ago. And then on the same day, the video came out where Jerome Bettis spoke with the team for like 15 minutes. And they showed like a 30-second clip. And I wanted to run through I don't know why I lost you again on the sound. So, so crazy. It's just when we switch the screen, I think, for some reason with my phone. Okay. So I'll re-enter the room. We're going to try to get Cam right back. But, yo, as I was saying, I showed that. For those of you that's your first time seeing it, once again, uh, give a shout-out to NR Podcast, the NR Show, their podcast. Check them out on YouTube. It's a great podcast. And give them credit for that footage and that interview with Wes Pritchard. And Cam... I, I saw that two days ago and shared it with LL Nation. Yeah. The same day, Jerome Bettis spoke to the team. He's finishing up his degree. Yeah. And he spoke to the team for 12 minutes, uh, reportedly. And they only put out a 30-second clip, but the 33-second clip made me want to run through the wall. Yep. And I was like, I got excited. And I think that might have been one of the best shows we've ever had on LL Nation. With the fan, just like, yo, we're amped. Like, let's yeah. go. We're ready yeah. to invade. Well, I don't want to use the word invade today. But we're ready, <laughs> we're ready to walk into the horseshoe and, and take care of these dudes and eliminate any buck nut from going on their helmet that whole day. Like, yeah. no special plays or nothing made. Let's go dominate. That's just the feeling we had. Even, and I told everybody, even if you didn't think Marcus Freeman was the right choice, the program is in a great position, and yeah. everybody should be happy about that. Hearing that from Wes Pritchett, and then you telling me that you signed up for the very thing he talked about, I'm super excited, bro. I'm super excited. Yeah, man, legacy legacy has to be what it's all about in so many ways. Um, and obviously, we celebrate the present of, like, this upcoming season. And I mean, but it's uh, – it's the history that continues to make this program what it is. And there's a legacy that is, um, uh, that creates like a flow and an energy that's tangible in the atmosphere again, uh, all throughout the campus, but in that stadium, man, it is, (laughs) it's tangible, man. It's, it's again, it's just one of those, uh, 
uh, I think that I think that that what they're talking about with the legacy program could definitely be one of those innovative um, one of those innovative creative mechanisms. Uh, how cool? I mean, how cool is it to be a recruit and you know Jerome Bettis is on the side sideline at the spring game or you know Crazy. Uh, Joe Montana like comes in or you know just just crazy uh the alumni is is nuts and for the these kids to kind of get a glimpse of even the guys that aren't necessarily that didn't go on to play in the league but are you know in the positions that they're in now and they're able to just kind of network with some of these people and yeah. um and i mean it's it's an amazing recruiting and marketing tool is really what it is oh, because you got you got you got guys that I mean, like myself, like if I'm there and I'm around recruits and they're talking about, you know, their decisions uh, and they ask me about Notre Dame, I'm going to have really positive things to say about Notre Dame because that legacy means a lot to me. And it will always be a special part of my journey and my story. And so I want to continue to pour in to that legacy by, uh, you know, helping with relationships and people resources however I can. And uh, yeah, man, the legacy program is going to be sweet. I'm excited about it. I love the concept. I think it's genius. Yo, I'm mad. I can't get in on the golf tournament. I'm like, yo, I want to play. <laughs> yo, I can have, man, put me in a foursome, my dream foursome. This is my dream foursome. Okay, let's hear it. Rocket. Okay. Rocket's awesome. Lou Holtz. Gotta play with okay. Lou. Gotta okay. play with Lou. And my fourth, this is tough. My co-host would probably be, my boy would probably be mad with me not putting him in there. Oh yeah, you're not gonna, you're not bringing Malik. No, I, <laughs> I don't think Malik can hit a ball for 100 yards, so. You don't want me, I promise you that. You don't want me. Look at Rocky, Lou, who else, man? Who? Who else? Let me bring somebody that's like more current. Cal Hamilton. Because I know for a fact Cal can play. Okay. I know him and Cam Hart are really good. That's fair. They talk a lot of trash about golf. So it would probably be Cal, Lou Holtz, and Rocket. You know, an interesting dynamic to that group. Uh, Totally different direction. But Joe Schmidt would be a fun one. Obviously, I'm good friends with Joe. But... Now, he you just, know what? Joe takes unnecessary, once again, fan base, unnecessary vitriol. Joe wasn't the same after the injury. He just yeah. wasn't the same. Yeah. He was the leader of the defense. He knew where everybody was supposed to be. That was one of the main reasons he stayed out there. But Joe, prior to that ankle injury, Joe was a darn good middle linebacker. And I'll stand on that. <laughs> I'll stand on that. I know a lot of a lot of Notre Dame fans were upset that uh, Niles Morgan didn't get an earlier shot to come in and play. Look, injury took a step, maybe a step and a half away from Joe, and hurt him. But Dude, the momentum that, of that season, the momentum of that season with him as the the quarterback of the defense. Yeah, uh, I mean, people forget we were undefeated going up to uh, against Florida State. Absolutely, and we got. We got uh oh, that, we got that, exactly we got that, that game stole, stolen from us. 
And then, you know, the Navy game comes and, uh, that's obviously when Joe gets his injury. And then after that, we couldn't put it back together until the ball game. Yeah. That Arizona state game was, was tough too. That was tough. That, that was, tough. was me, tough. Me and Malik talked a little bit about that one last time. Last time. Because <laughs> it was fun. We both got we both got in at the end and almost got to see the cool comeback. But, um, yeah, man. Because, honestly, they weren't that good, Cam. Let's <laughs> be real, man. That's, like, that's the worst thing in the world when you're a school like Notre Dame and you lose a game and you know darn well the team you played wasn't better than you. Yeah. That's one of those losses, like, the Florida State loss, you didn't like it. Yeah. They had Jameis Winston, um, my man Jalen Ramsey. That dude, they had some they had some dogs. They did Florida State on that team. Yeah. Eddie Goldman was on that team. Yeah, man. It was a I I think when you're Notre like when you're at Notre Dame, you feel that any game that you lose, I think you know that uh you should you have the capacity to win. Yeah. And I mean, even in even in some of the games where, you know, we got flat out embarrassed, it was just like, man, we didn't show up and play the way that we can play. Because um, when our guys are coordinated, playing together in a way that like, um, playing together in a way that we all know we're on the same page, mm-hmm. that's those, those are those special moments with teams where you can feel that. And when you don't feel that, uh, that's when you get kind of those embarrassing moments and stuff. I mean, this just goes into like, if you're a power five school and you know, you have a seven and five season like Texas does, you have no excuse as a coach, like as a coach to be having seven to five season with the talent that they have. But it's, these are the dynamics that are outside of talent that a lot of people just, you know, continue not to consider. You don't consider that Nick Saban brings that talent in but he's got a special way of communicating with his players. And they all know that there's something about him that these players know, like I can get behind this guy because he knows how to win championships. And then there's something with the culture that I know he's doing. I I personally know of different speakers and like things that they invest in as far as mental development that they've been doing since, you know, 2008, uh, and just bringing, you know, bringing people in to be talking about mental conditioning. Um, uh, They were ahead of the game on a lot of those, um, on a lot of that stuff from my understanding of it. And I, I could be mistaken, but I just remember like hearing some of the guys that they were bringing in and I don't know, man, like establishing that culture where there's the confidence. um, It just, It'll always booster the talent for sure, but it will uh, it'll do something else and create a charisma, like a collective charisma with the team. That um, and that's when you start winning games and you're seeing momentum with, you know, these random schools like a uh, Coastal Carolina or whatever coming in and just having an undefeated season, or right. you know, an SMU bouncing back and going undefeated um, for you know, the first eight game or winning, you know, 10 and 11 game seasons for the first time in a long time. I mean, these, these programs that do that, they build that chemistry up and they maintain it. And there's an art to that, man. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Now I'm glad you led right there because 
story came out earlier this week that there will be no expansion to the playoff. They tabled a discussion until 2026. I really don't know if the college football uh, world really knows what they're about to do. Because yeah. I'm like, yo, the way it is now, you guys really have Notre Dame up against the wall every year because it's pretty much undefeated or bust to get yeah. in. If you open it up to eight and Notre Dame can have some relief on pressure of winning every game, like, oh, you might as well give up. Just mail our invitation at the beginning of every year. Just mail it to us. Send it, send it to the office, the athletic office, and we'll show up. Yeah. Ready to play. I like the concept of eight games, man. I think that would be fun. I think a lot of people would like to see something like now, that. How far would you go? Eight or twelve? You don't make ten. Um, I like eight right now, but I'm not against twelve. I think you get more into like you know an NFL style playoff system when you get okay. to 12 obviously right, right um which is not a bad thing i don't think uh i think you got enough competitive teams in college football yeah to make that make sense um i think with the 8 and 12 you would definitely have the top two you know the top two teams with a bye and um yeah i i like 8 i like 12 I think yeah. those are both great options. Um, I guess that would be to be putting the, se the season back. Uh, maybe, I guess they would still, they could still probably finish that out in January, right? They were probably, the way they would do it, they would space it out and the week in between the conference championships and the Super Bowl, that would be the championship game of college football. Okay. I think that's the way they would schedule it out. And it would fit perfect because that weekend between for most sports fans is like yeah. the worst. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. So yeah. college football can kind of take that week up and get football fans to the Super Bowl. It would be perfect. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that, um, yeah, I, there's no doubt people would watch it. So, yeah, we love con yeah. we love content as a nation. So. And I see someone in the comments talking about the Big Ten and the SEC being uh, the two main obstacles in this thing getting done. I would say it's the SEC more than the Big Ten. Obviously, yeah. those are the big those are the two biggest TV deals conference wise. Because of that, economically, they come into the situation with leverage. Yeah, it's just the way it is. The SEC is trying to go over the top. From what I've heard from people that are very connected to what's been going on, uh, Jack Swarbrick has pretty much played the bat in the situation. Matter of fact, he didn't even attend the meeting that took place at the end of December because he was too busy finding a head coach. He just was like, I'm not coming. I have interviews yeah. to do. As a matter of fact, I think the day they held the meeting in Chicago – he actually was interviewing Luke Fickle on campus, according to reports. So, okay. And eventually, he, I think it was like two days after the meeting, it was announced that Marcus Freeman was the next head coach in Notre Dame. So Jack Swarbrick has kind of just played the back and said, I'm going to see how this plays out. The SEC has been very aggressive. They want guarantees yeah. of number of teams. Like they go to 12, they want a guarantee of three teams. And it's like, yeah. it's like, look, and I'm glad that the other conferences, 
have chosen to push back. Like we're not yeah. expanding to put you in a better position. We're, expand, we're expanding to give other teams and other conference, conferences a fighting chance an opportunity to participate in postseason meaningful football games. Not that the bowl games aren't meaningful, but they're not – it's not the same the way they used to be. Yeah. Or the Cotton Bowl – well, not Cotton Bowl. If it's not part of the CFP, it's not the same in that particular year. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's – that's tough. I don't really have a ton of comment on the Big Ten and the SEC stuff just because I find it all kind of ridiculous. Uh, the, I mean, kudos to the SEC for being as business savvy as I guess they can be and, you know, capitalizing on all of this stuff. Um, if, the, hustle, if, right? if that's what we're going for. But, like, yeah. obviously that's not what people want to see. So, like, um, you know. I, unless you're an SEC fan, then maybe you want to see it. Um, and so people just got to get creative, man. That's the thing about uh, when you start talking about this as a business, as it, like this industry, um, it, it will inspire some creativity. It will inspire some, hey, let's change things around because if the SEC does this, then – we got to fix some stuff because yeah. there's no way that we can compete with the level and caliber of content they're going to be putting together week in and week out. And what that's going to, I mean, they're creating a, a powerhouse of, uh, I mean, with Texas, Alabama, Texas A&M, I mean, fan bases that already, I mean, there was, they had the Texas Longhorns had the Longhorn network before they had their own network. Uh, I mean, all of that I think is uh, I think is crazy. And so I don't want to see it because I think it just is turning college football more and more into, you know, more professional football. It already is professional football, but now it's like more professional football. And this is just like, all right, now we're trying to monopolize everything and we're going to be the dominant conference basically. And all you guys can just, you know, uh, you can figure it out. Because that's essentially what they're doing right now. <laughs> so we said we were going to bookmark the quarterback competition. There is no incumbent this year. You have the youngster, Notre Dame's version of TB12, Tyler mm -hmm. Butler. And then I call him the people's champ, Drew Pine. Everybody loves Drew Pine. Everybody. Yeah. Now, Drew Pine is putting in work recruiting. People need to know that. Like yeah. We did an interview with Carnell Tate, and he said one of the coolest dudes he always talks to on the team is Drew Pine, and he's a wide receiver. Yeah. So that goes to show the type of guy he is and how beloved he is on that team. Yeah. Do you have a thought on how you think this quarterback competition might play out? And you said the screen ball is more important for the quarterbacks than anything when we were talking before the show. Yeah, and I could be mistaken on that. So that's just my personal, you know, preference mm -hmm. or not preference, but my perspective on it. Um, and with the QB scenario, oh, dude, got two really solid QBs um, and Buckner and Pine. Like, I just like uh, they definitely have different playing styles, um, but I. I'm just not at liberty to to even speak 
as to who's going to be the guy, because I think they both have some serious, um, they both have a serious competitive spirit and we've, we've seen it on the field from both of them. They've both done things that have got people excited about the future of Notre Dame, which is a good problem to have in a way. Um, you want, you want that really stimulating competition. Um, and then you want guys in the locker room and this is how Malik was. Malik was like that. Everybody in the locker room loved Malik. And, um, it sounds like Drew is one of those characters as well that just kind of brings energy to the locker room. I always like to see that from my quarterback as a guy that would be, you know, a coach's son and like coming from a coach's perspective, I feel like your QB having the charisma to bring a special energy to your team is unquantifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, that's something that if, if that's not a strength of Tyler Buckner right now, I think that he's got to develop that. Um, and you know, not, not to be something that you're not, uh, yeah, I think with it, let exactly. It, yeah. Like, yeah. like Tom Brady does it in his own way. He's yeah. not like, like people in the locker room aren't just like hanging out with Tom Brady on the weekend and stuff like that. He's very like, you know, business minded and like very professional about the, I guess professional would probably be a better word, like professional about what he does, very serious, treats it as a science. And, but at the same time, there's something about him and there's a charisma that he carries that is unique to him. That's very authentic and players get behind it. And so that's got to be developed And springtime is a great, it's a great opportunity to do that. Um, and I think that's what, you know, Tommy's got to be evaluating this spring. He's got to be seeing, Hey, like which one of these kids uh, gives us the best opportunity to bring the talent that we're putting together um, and making it into something unique and special because I think the game plan is going to be completely different for their skill sets. And so you're developing an offense basically around that personality at QB, which I think is important to do. Um, And this is a great opportunity for those guys to come out and, uh, and show, show basically like that I'm the guy. And, uh, I don't think, I don't know. You're not going to get a decision. I don't think in spring ball, obviously, but you're going to get an indicator. They'll, They'll get an indicator of who they believe is the guy coming into the training camp. And it'll also give an idea if, they want to bring somebody else in from, uh, through the transfer portal. And that's just the reality of this game. You know, there's more than likely that somebody will probably come in at some point. And I don't know who that is, but uh, I'm sure there's lots of talent out there on the table and people that are you know waiting to get that opportunity. So that's the craziness of spring ball these days. We didn't have to worry about the transfer portal as much back when I was playing, but now it's just a completely different dynamic. Let me ask you a few questions. You're, you connected. I don't know how many Texas games, high school games you get to, but Notre Dame has really made an impact and kind of made a decision. We're going to get these top players out of Texas. Yeah. In the 2023 cycle and the 2024 cycle. Denton Geyer 
annually is a pretty good program. Yep. Jackson Arnold, a quarterback, big-time quarterback, committed to Oklahoma. That's just, in my opinion, and the work that I do with Irish now, he chose Oklahoma as a place setter. I think Jackson Arnold is still very open to Notre Dame. I think he's very open to other programs. And I think he's going to allow it to play out. If he put the commitment in place, I'll honor that and say, okay, yep. committed to Oklahoma. Yep. Peyton Bowen, big time. His younger brother in the class of 2024, Eli Bowen, just as good as Peyton. Have you seen either one of those guys play? And your thoughts on the type of athlete you're getting from a program like Denton uh, Geyer? Yeah. Um, Denton Guy was in my district uh, my senior year, and um, they've been kind of a, a perennial powerhouse in Texas for over a decade, really just um, – and a lot of good QBs coming from that program as well. <clears throat> I, I think that um, there's some – I think you talk about the legacy program. I think you could have an extension of the legacy program in Dallas. <laughs> Easy. I mean, you got Tim Brown there. You got Rocket there. You got you got the guys and the network to be able to really make a statement in DFW. Um, I think you could do the same thing in Southern California. I think yeah. you can do the same thing in Miami. Um, I think you can have hubs of these, you know, Notre Dame legacy, uh, whatever you want to call them, whether they're dinners, you know, networking events. Um, uh, I mean, they could get really creative with it, man. Like you can, you can do all kinds of stuff. Um, but the, these are the things, these are the marketing strategies and tools and recruiting that you have to consider when you're a nationally recognized program like Notre Dame, because it's different than like, for example, my little brother that goes to SM, SMU their recruiting strategy is recruit the heck out of Dallas and, yeah. and let everybody know that this is like Dallas is SMU, like they're equivalent. And so you get, you know, there's billboards all over, you know, Dallas now, and they really like started to hone in on, we're just, why are we going in all, to all these other places for talent when there's so much talent in the Metroplex that goes overlooked mm -hmm. and Houston's doing the same thing in Houston right now, which I think is, is really cool. But uh, for Notre Dame to be able to create a presence and have a, a physical footprint, not just a digital footprint. I think there's going to be something like get the digital like stuff for mm -hmm. sure. But the physical footprint of being able to, you know, put on, um, you know, cool recruiting events or whatever. And in, uh, in these different cities, I think would be a really cool and unique opportunity and a great recruiting strategy. Yeah, they're going after Braylon James from Texas. Also, Malik Muhammad, talented cornerback from the state of Texas. Uh, Notre Dame is doing a very, very good job on the Marcus Freeman, you know, building relationships yeah, they are. in the state of Texas and getting talented players. So we're almost done. Thank you guys for tapping in tonight. Let's get to a couple more of your questions and comments. Uh, let's see here. Touche Porter, SEC is really just like four teams anyway. Everyone else in that conference might as well be a group of five. <laughs> hey, Notre Dame beats everybody else in the conference outside of Alabama. So 
That's true. We haven't gotten Georgia yet. We've been right there. Yeah. We haven't gotten over the hump. But, yeah, everybody else in the conference, there's no one in the SEC that I'm afraid to play. Yeah. No, no one. I know we have this home and home starting at 24 with uh, Texas A&M. So I'm looking forward to that. That's my wife's alumni too, so oh, I'm yeah? excited for that. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be dope. N.W. Junior. Thank you yeah. so much for tapping in. Your dream foursome, Holtz, Bettis, and Jay Smith. Man. That's a good one too. That's that's a darn good one. Jay's awesome, man. He he, yeah, he's such fun to hang out with. Such a genuine dude. Yeah, that's a genuine. That's the one dude that I just wish I could rewind time. Dude, I want to get him on our tech so bad. I haven't been able to get him on our technology, but I really think that we could help him a lot. And, uh, I mean, he needs to be neurologically reprogrammed in his knee. That's what he needs. He needs neurological conditioning. And So if um, you had the opportunity, give us a prognosis of immediately post-injury, knowing that the nerve damage was the main issue mm -hmm. in healing, what exactly would you have suggested for Jason? Well, typically nerve damage is more of a long, like it's, it can be short term, obviously. Like I, uh, I worked on a student athlete, uh, at one of our local universities in the Metroplex recently. And after his ACL surgery, his, uh, his quad head or his vastus medialis oblique isn't growing back. So that teardrop muscle on your leg, it's like an indention where that's supposed to be. And that's a nerve thing. That's a nerve regeneration thing because he's not getting stimulus to that tissue in his knee. And so for a guy like Jalen, when you're dealing like the original trauma wasn't, it was, uh, it was the ligament damage. Like he blew his knee out. Um, it, the nerve damage I think come came from the surgery probably. And so, uh, sometimes that's, you know, that's unavoidable, but this is why within the space that I'm in, we're trying to find a way to avoid these surgeries if possible. When we can, we can't always avoid these surgeries. Um, but when we can, uh, this tissue is designed to grow back together. It's very intelligent. It's, uh, the vascularity of that tissue is very similar to that of plants and that of fungus and mushrooms. And so when, there's the, a tear or a rupture, there's naturally going to start to be a repairing process immediately. And um, for somebody like Jay, uh, he needs that extra neurological stimulation in his knee, especially now that he has all of the biotech components that probably aren't compatible with his central nervous system that is causing the ongoing nerve damage. Um, if you can get an external power source to help re-educate the tissue surrounding his knee that isn't providing the support that he needs right now, okay. then he can help. I mean, it can, it will help him, uh, re-facilitate that growth in the tissue, um, that re-educating the nerves, if you will, around the areas where he really needs support. I guess we're running. Cameo. I hope all that makes sense. Yo, it made perfect sense to me. I okay. guess we're running a cameo or memo here, Cam, because uh, we got a super chat from my guy, Matt, 2011 GT. He says, Cam, can you say hi to my wife, Karen? She has had a crush <laughs> on you since the end zone pick. Awesome. Hey, Karen. How's it going? 
There you go. <laughs> Matt, let me know if you want me to edit that, cut it up, and email it to you. I'll send it to you just for her. Say hello. I do those sign I sign those those pictures all the time still too. So it's uh yeah, yeah, of course. For the fans, for the ones that you know, for the ones that want it, like yeah. Perfect segue. Your thoughts, <laughs> perfect segue, Mick. Uh, Mick Gasol, former player at Notre Dame, um, Irish Players Club. He's the co-founder. Yeah, partnering with the eighty players currently on the roster, and basically, in short, the IPC is a collection of five thousand five hundred fifty-five NFTs that financially supports current student athletes. Owners of these NFTs will become members of the IPC and get unparalleled access to the 2022 team, which includes certain events, moments, autographs, meet and greets, things of that nature. The launch is March 1st at irishplayersclub.com. The last time you were on with us, we talked about NIL, Notre Dame as players being creative Yep. to get into that market. What's your first thought? I love it. I love that um, that the players are are uh, are doing that. I think it's I think it's really smart. Um, and <clears throat> I think what we anybody that's looking at NFTs right now should be skeptical. Mm -hmm. um, I am a huge fan of NFTs, and I'm extremely skeptical of almost every project that I look at because I know that. 99% of projects are probably going to fail at some point um, because there's such a gold rush effect going on with this technology. Yeah. And right now, the main driving factor of this technology, I think, is uh, um, just the ability to collect these unique expressions of digital art. So I think there's merit to that. But you got to have more than that, I think, in order to sustain yourself into the future. And so the utilities have to, again, get really creative. Um, and so having access to the players is a creative utility to bring into this. Um, I was looking over some of the, uh, like what that access entails. And <clears throat> I'm not... I personally am not sure if that's going to be enough. Maybe it, maybe it will be. Um, but the more creativity that you can put into the utility of being able to create some sort of perpetual, like this continues to be valuable for, you know, not just next year, but the year after that and the year after that. And like those, um, those pieces I think are the ones that are going to be special. And so, um, yeah, I just love that they're doing it first and foremost. I think kudos to them for doing it. I've been saying that I was going to do an NFC for a while, and I haven't just because life and everything like that. And I want to be thoughtful about it, and I want to make sure that I've got the right team in place and and we're providing utilities that are, again, going to be more generational in the way that, um, you know, we talked about legacy, like generational uh, – like adding generational value um, while continuing to link it back to the Notre Dame community is something that I would really love to do. Uh, and, you know, my NFT work. So. And once again, the mission of the Irish players club is to help players connect with fans while monetizing their NIL. 
more than 80 active players have already partnered with the IPC and 75% of all profits generated from the collection will be split evenly amongst those players, evenly amongst those players. That's, that's very interesting. And also there was a clubhouse with the Notre Dame players and a Mick and the other co-founders, I believe on Monday night and yep. top, top recruits from the 2023 class were in the clubhouse listening. Nice. Like, un- man, look. There you go. That's the stuff, though, man. That's that's, that's unique. Like, when that's you have cool. Dante Moore in the clubhouse listening yeah. to how this can benefit him, possibly, if he ultimately, and he might be the key piece offensively to the recruiting class. He's the biggest domino because yeah. if he commits, then all the top receivers commit because they're connected to him. Look, it's, yeah. a great, it's a great idea. I love what the players are doing. I think any sort of anything like that, man, yeah. that <clears throat> separates you as a program. Hey, Chris. So sorry, man. Just finished up my one work. Can you hear me? I'm yeah, back. I got you. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where I was at last time, I guess I was just saying that uh, I think that utility is beautiful, man. And like having a clubhouse with those players and then um, being able to speak into future recruits, like that's the stuff that you want because the recruits. Yeah. The recruits or the players are a huge part of just the recruiting process overall. And yeah. uh, it was a huge part of, I mean, Tommy Reese and Austin Collinsworth were the guys that hosted me. And just that there's something just special about those guys, about the time. And those impressions are key. And this is a really cool way to do that. So I'm excited yeah. about that. I agree. When I saw that they had pulled recruits, from the next two classes in to listen to the discussion, I said, oh, this is big. Yeah. This is big. What they're doing, they this is well thought out. And I hope that the fan base comes out and supports March 1st when everything happens. Support the Notre Dame football team and this creation, irishplayersclub.com. Yeah, man. March 1st. So – I appreciate you joining me today, man. It's been fantastic being able to chop it up with you as always. You Thanks, can, brother. Let me know what let the people know what you're doing. Is there anything that you would like to uh advertise or, or let the family know uh that's exciting and what you're doing from an entrepreneurial standpoint? Yeah, man. I'm uh always trying to involve myself in uh lots of exciting projects. Uh I've got I already kind of you know, talked about the Adam and what I'm doing there. And so, uh, man, I, I'm just stoked about the future of what's going on with just, there's so much innovation in the realm of college football right now that, um, it's like the wild west in a lot of ways. There's, there's so many, so many cool things happening. And so, uh, I just 
I've just enjoyed continuing to dialogue on some of these new, uh, really cool content creation pieces that have the ability to, I think, um, kind of create a really unique, um, a unique experience for the Notre Dame community from here on out. I'm excited about this legacy program. Um, the uh, Irish Players Club, I think, is a, I think it's an awesome way to, um, again, connect the community in the locker room to the extended uh, Notre Dame nation. And the more you can do that and you can show some of these like authentic expressions and these authentic moments, um, you'll create a really special atmosphere, really special environment. And this Gen Z generation and uh, the generations, you know, coming up, I believe authenticity is going to be the key component of um, of really consciousness that gets people excited about being involved with any sort of program or community or institution. So, uh, Sean, dude, I appreciate you and Malik just allowing me to be on the show again and talk about some of these things. I'm sorry about the spotty internet. We're again in Mexico. They didn't have, (laughs) I called the resort. I was like, what's up with the Wi-Fi?" And they're like, Oh, we only have it in the common areas. And I was like, Oh, okay. That would have been good to know. (laughs) This is all good. We're going to get out of here. But before we go, LL nation, man, you know what time it is. (laughs) Very good. It's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing. Are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's petty historic Petty Junction? Each and every day, Eddie Duncan, Eddie's story of the day. Let's see your nominations in the chat. I'm going to throw myself on the petty train today, Cam. LL Nation. So I saw in the story out there in the LA Times that USC quarterback Caleb Williams said that he wants to win more Super Bowls than Tom Brady. Hey, man, focus on beating Notre Dame first, okay? How about that? <laughs> How about that? Let, let's focus little small steps first all right try not losing to stanford at home try not losing to oregon state at home and try beating notre dame once before you go ahead and fast forward yeah to the nfl and tom Brady. come got on pro- man. We, got a, we got a program to resurrect we want to oh man we want to have a little bit of competition for our well, rivalry good and look dude that's why i love what cam hart said cam's hart said i'm more worried about unc than usc because the games have been better it's true. It's true, man. It is, it is what it is right now. They're it's one of like, those programs. Oh. They're one of those programs that doesn't have an excuse, man. They don't got an excuse. No, not anymore. No. And not next anymore. on the petty train is a uh, Chicago native Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah, I love you. You, for some reason, you, you were part of the seventy-five diamond anniversary of the NBA celebration and. You ended up in the top 25. 
But you keep putting your foot in your mouth, man. You keep trying to promote LeBron James. And everybody has an opinion. I'm tired of the conversation. Who's the GOAT? Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Like, look, I get it. But to say that you can't blame LeBron James for his losses in the finals because he was never favored. Only once against Dallas did he lose where he was favored, but yet and still try to point out that Michael Jordan couldn't beat you in the 80s when he had the likes of Brad Sellers playing mm. with him. Really? Mm. So, oh, gosh. <laughs> you want to bring up the fact that you had a better team to try to bring Michael Jordan down, but then you, you want to forgive the fact that LeBron wasn't favored. Michael Jordan was never favored when he lost to the Pistons. He was never favored when he lost to the Celtics. He was never favored when he lost to the Sixers. Hey, LeBron James, you can't you, – come on, man. Sweet and bitter water can't come out of the same fountain, man. You can't have it. So I got to throw, throw you on the petty train. Yeah, man. I kind of wish players wouldn't compare themselves to, you know, greatness like that. You just respect them for who they are and, like – just go be you. And if you're the best ever, then people will say it. <laughs> like there will be, there won't be confusion. Or if you bring something to the sport that's so unique and so mm -hmm. dynamic that you transform the sport, like Pistol Pete Maravich, for example, like mm -hmm. the dude transformed the sport with Absolutely. his play and his style Absolutely. of play. And then it, you, you began to see it replicated by other players and you know, the, his creativity for the game changed the game of basketball forever. Those are the things that I think players need to strive for, not, not just being generally the greatest. Because what does that even mean? People are the greatest because they bring a unique expression of the game that we've never seen before, and they make us say, whoa, <laughs> like, wow, right. that, that's unique, man. Like, we haven't seen play – like, when Steph Curry's doing the things that he's doing in the All-Star game and hitting 16 threes, like – like greatness nobody has to like there's no argument about it we're not sitting here you know talk like comparing him to other people what he did distinguished himself and so just go focus on that and the rest will take care of itself <laughs> thanks for everybody that tapped in tonight as always we're featuring and brought to you by anora whiskey go to anorawhiskey.com it's the premium american whiskey anorawhiskey.com and it is available in the south bend area if you are around notre dame and the campus search out where spirits are sold anorawhiskey.com cam thank you for joining us man look we've yes, already man. had plenty of people reach out to us and say yo you guys need to have Cam on every month. Like, get Cam on <laughs> every month because the conversations are great. Oh, and I appreciate it, man. Cam, it's awesome. Love this community. Cam, if Cam would be so gracious, the door is always open, LL Nation. You already know that. And just to let you guys know, the brotherhood is strong. Dexter Williams was watching us tonight. Nice. He, he hit me up and was like, yo, I got to get on the show. You guys yeah. got to get on the show. So and we got to get Dexter on. Yeah, we got to get Deuce on. <laughs> and uh, tentatively, we're looking at next Thursday. And hopefully we can uh, secure that and we'll officially make the announcement on the Lucky Lefty Podcast 
Instagram or Twitter page at Lucky Lefty Pod. Available also on Apple Podcasts under A2S Network. Don't forget, hit the like button, subscribe, share, and let everybody know we spend it different at the Lucky Lefty Podcast. For the great, iconic Cam McDaniel, I'm Sean Davis at SD Mikes. We'll see you guys tomorrow night. Lucky Bluffy will be back. And we'll Love talk you guys. Go Irish. Go Irish. Have a great evening.